Today we're going to start a new series on the Ten Commandments. Today people are looking for a certain voice. We live in a time of crisis, a time of crisis in society, in the home, in the nation, and people say, is there a voice of certainty to lead us out of the maze? Millions are seeking a word from God. That's why so many people have turned to the new age and why so many people are tied up today in spiritism. Therefore, today we plan to bring you a certain word because God has already spoken. Three and a half thousand years ago, God came down upon Mount Sinai and spoke in fire and earthquake. I want you to take your Bibles now and turn with me to Exodus chapter 19, please. Exodus chapter 19. And uh, I want you to come to verse 16, which gives us the setting for this great drama when God came down from heaven and delivered to his people the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 16 and onwards. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the, tramp, in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. What a day. I've had the privilege of going to Mount Sinai, climbing up the top of the mountain. It is a wild, lonely place. It was there about 1400 BC, we believe, that Almighty God came down from heaven with a sure word for the world. And then you come to the chapter on the Ten Commandments, chapter 20, and we shall read the first part of it. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I want you to notice verse 1 and verse 2, because this gives us the setting for the giving of the ten words from God, as they are called. God says, I am the Lord your God. I have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Therefore, you shall keep these commandments. I want you to notice, my beloved friends, first and foremost, that the commandments were given to a people who were a redeemed people. The Ten Commandments are not for slaves. The Ten Commandments are for the redeemed of the Lord. I believe from my study of archaeology that the Pharaoh who was sitting on the throne, throne in those days, in the days of Moses, was not Ramesses, though I could be wrong, but I think the Pharaoh was Tutmosis III. 
one of the greatest pharaohs in the history of the world, perhaps the greatest of all the pharaohs. And some 1450 years before Christ, God raised up a man whose name was Moses. That is also an Egyptian name. It means born of. Most likely his name was Harpy Moses, born of the river Nile, the god Harpy. We do not know for certain, but it is likely. And God said to him, go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh went down to Egypt and he confronted Tutmosis III and said, let my people go. And the Pharaoh said, I will not let them go. I do not know your God. And then God sent upon the Egyptians ten awful plagues. And this climaxed, this outpouring of God's wrath, climaxed in the plague upon the firstborn. God said on that occasion, you are to kill a lamb, and you are to take the blood of the lamb, and you are to place it upon the door, the doorpost, over the door. And when the angel of death wings his way through the land, and when he sees the blood on the door, he will pass over. Hence it is called the Passover. Because the angel of death passed over. The people before they left the land of Egypt were saved through faith in Christ, the Passover lamb. And then the Bible tells us in Corinthians that they were baptized in the sea. They were a blood-washed people and they were a baptized people. And after they had been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and washed in the blood of the Lamb, and after they had been baptized, Paul says, in the sea, then God delivered to them the commandments. I say to you today, the commandments are not for slaves. Slaves cannot understand the commandments of God or keep the commandments the commandments of God are for a free and a redeemed people. Amen. And Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. The Bible tells us that all of us have been brought out of the land of Egypt. The Bible tells us that we have all been the slaves of sin. And the Bible tells us that we are delivered through the blood of Christ. And after a person has been delivered by the blood of Christ, then that person is ready, my friend. And not until then, but that person then is ready to keep the commandments of God. So I say today, the commandments are for a redeemed people. God's law is not for a race of slaves. Now, a question that we are often asked is this. And this is an important question. Should a Christian, saved by grace, keep the commandments? All of the great churches, the Baptist church, the Congregational church, the Presbyterian church, the Lutheran church, the Methodist church, the Church of England, all of the great churches have said, yes, a person saved by grace will want to keep the commandments of God. If you read the Church of England or the Episcopal Church, as it is called in this part of the world, if you read the Book of Common Prayer, you'll read there the Ten Commandments, and the priest stands before the congregation and says, each of the commandments, one by one, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, 
and all of the commandments, and the congregation intones, Lord, have mercy upon us, and incline our hearts to keep this law. The idea that the commandments are no longer binding upon Christian men is a novelty and a heresy. But let me show you from Holy Scripture what the Bible says. I want you to come to Exodus 31 and verse 18, and I want you to notice some infallible proofs, please. Exodus 31 and verse 18. Exodus chapter 31 and verse 18. I want you to notice that God here gives to the commandments a special name. And I would like you to notice this name at this time, please. Exodus 31 verse 18. When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the testimony, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. You'll notice there that God calls the Ten Commandments by the term the testimony. When the Bible talks about the law, the term law, Torah or nomos, as it is in the Greek, can mean almost anything. It means the revealed will of God. But God gave to the Ten Commandments a unique, distinctive name. He did not call the Ten Commandments the law, the Torah. No, he called the Ten, Command Ten Commandments the testimony. And let me say this to you. Whenever this term testimony, which is the Hebrew word aduth, is used in connection with the sanctuary, it means one thing and one thing alone, and that is the Ten Commandments of God. So I want this to settle down into the molecules of your minds that whenever the word aduth, the Hebrew word aduth, or the English word testimony, is used in connection with the sanctuary of God, it refers only to the Ten Commandments. Now let me give you a text or two that will bolster this teaching. Would you please come, I think, to Exodus 25. I can give you a hundred texts on this, but just a few will suffice. Exodus 25 and verse 16. Then put in the ark the testimony which I will give you. And if you come to uh, verse 22 of the same chapter. There above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you and give you all my commandments for the Israelites. Now, listen carefully. The children of Israel had a temple. It was a sanctuary. You had the holy place and you had the most holy place. In the most holy place, there was the ark of God, which was like a gold-covered box. God said, put into the ark the testimony. And therefore, it is called the ark of the testimony. And because the temple contained the Ten Commandments, it was called the temple of the testimony. Whenever the word testimony is used in connection with the sanctuary, it always refers to the commandments of God and to the Ten Commandments and the Ten Commandments alone. Uh, let me give you another text, Exodus 32, verse 15. Exodus chapter 32, and it's wonderful to hear the pages being turned. 
Exodus 32 and verse... Did I say verse 15? Yes. Moses turned, went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraven on the tablets. And so God says, I am going to give to the commandments a special name. I'm not going to call the Ten Commandments the law because the law is a very broad term. No, he said, I'm going to give the commandments of God a very special name. And this word is what? The testimony. I say it again. Whenever this word testimony, and there are no exceptions, whenever this word testimony is used in connection with the sanctuary, it refers to the Ten Commandments. And there are no exceptions to this. Now I want you to come to the New Testament. I want you please to come to Revelation chapter 11 and verse 18 because this is during the era of the New Testament of the New Testament. Obviously, it is after Jesus, and uh, it is very significant what this book will say about the commandments. Uh, please come to Revelation chapter 11 and verse 19. Here I will give you three texts out of the book of Revelation. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. I ask you a question. Is there a temple in heaven? The temple of God in heaven is open, and within the temple was seen the ark, of his covenant, I ask you, is there an ark in heaven? Mm. And so in heaven there is seen a temple, and this is referring to the very last days. This is not in the days of Moses. This is past the cross. It is referring this verse to the very last days. In the very last days, John looks up into heaven, and he sees a temple, and he looks inside the temple, and what does he see? He sees the ark of God. Now, what does he see in the ark of God? Pray tell me. Revelation 15 and verse 5. Please notice this. Revelation 15 and verse 5. And this chapter is about the seven last plagues, and therefore it is referring to the last days. After this I looked, and in heaven, say it with me, the temple, that is the tabernacle of the testimony, was opened. What does the word testimony mean, my friend? Everybody, but which commandments? The Ten Commandments. And so John in the last days looks up into glory and he sees, number one, a temple. Number two, he sees an ark. And number three, he sees the testimony. Therefore, he sees in heaven in the last days as the eternal Lord the eternal moral law of Almighty God, he sees the testimony, the Ten Commandments. Amen. Therefore, abolish the idea that the commandments of God have been abolished. The Ten Commandments last for eternity. And then after looking up in heaven, he looks down upon the earth in chapter 14 and verse 12, he sees a people who will obey them. This calls... Revelation 14, verse 12. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey the commandments of God or God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Listen carefully to what I'm going to say. I am saved by grace through faith. 
I am saved by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus for my sins on the cross. I am not saved by faith plus obedience. I am not saved by faith plus works, but I am saved by a faith that works and that a faith that will obey God. You see? And the mark of a Christian is that he loves God and that he keeps the commandments of God. And when God came down in thunder and fire, God came with a message to the world. People say, if God would only come to Los Angeles with a message, my friend, God already has come. God has already come. And if God came back today and people said to God, what would you have us do, God? God would say, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. I want you to come to this great chapter. Exodus chapter 20 as we talk about the commandments of God. Now as you're turning to that passage, let me remind you of something. Listen to this. In the center of the world, God had a nation. What was it, pray tell me? Israel. On the crossroads of the world. In the center of that nation, God had a city. What was it? Jerusalem. In the center of that city, God had a structure. What was it? The temple. The temple had two apartments. In the center of the sanctuary in the center of the temple there was the most holy place in the center of the most holy place god had in the center of the most holy place god had the ark of god in the center of the ark of god god had the testimony, the commandments of God. And I say to all my friends who are watching on television, in the very center of the Ten Commandments of God, you have the commandment that says, remember the Sabbath day. Amen. And looking up into glory in the last days, John sees a temple, God sees an ark, and God, uh, John sees, John sees the testimony. The commandments of God. And a Christian who is saved by grace through faith and washed in the blood of the Lamb will keep the commandments of God. That is the mark of a Christian. Anything short of that is not grace, but disgrace. The Bible says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. The commandments are for the free. You shall have no other gods before me. The world of Moses was a world of many gods. There were the gods of Egypt. There was Osiris and his wife Isis. There was Ra, the sun god. There was the ram god, the god of fertility. There was Horus, the falcon god of the skies. There was Anubis, the jackal god of death. I've seen them all. There was the serpent god, the beetle god, the crocodile god. There were many gods, but only one true god. Who is this one true god? What is his name? 
In Scripture, he is called, and we do not know the pronunciation, he is called Yahweh, which means the self-existent one. As I studied the root word of the word Yahweh, that's the word that's translated Lord in capitals in the English Bible, it means to be. He says, I will be what I will be. I have always been and I always will be. He calls himself, I am that I am. When Moses said, what is your name? What shall I say to the elders of Israel? God said, I am that I am. Tell them, I am. Another great name for God is El Shaddai, Almighty God. Elohim. When it says, in the beginning, God created the he heavens and the earth, it says, Elohim. And the word Elohim is the plural of El. El is the singular for God. But the word for the Almighty One is Elohim, which is the plural. He is the creator God. Did you know this? Just a few weeks ago, this grabs me, a few weeks ago, Astronomers believe there were one billion galaxies in the universe. A thousand. Sorry, they believed just recently you've got a croaky throat today. Steve's got a bit of the flu, bless him. Uh, recently, just a few weeks ago, astronomers believed there were one billion galaxies. When I started to speak in astronomy, when I came out of college, we believed then there were 200 million galaxies. In more recent times, they've just multiplied that, and it became a billion. Just a few days ago, with the Hubble spacecraft, they discovered that there was not, there were not just a billion galaxies, a thousand million. They are now counting today 40 billion. In the last few days, the universe has grown by 4,000%. They're looking back into time, looking back 10 billion years, and they are seeing the universe being created by God. They're looking back to the time of the Big Bang when God said, let it be, let it be. 40 billion, 40,000 million, not stars, but galaxies. He is called the Most High God, God of eternity, Lord our Maker, Lord the Provider, Lord the Healer, the Lord our Righteousness. As we sing in the great hymn, God in three persons, Blessed Trinity. Jesus calls himself the I Am. Jesus said before Abraham was, not I was, I am. The Bible teaches the doctrine of the Trinity. We are not like the pagans. We do not worship three gods. We worship one God. But one God in three persons, the blessed Trinity. Little wonder that our souls are thrilled when we hear the song, How Great Thou Art. Ten billion years ago or more, he was there. These are concepts that you and I cannot understand. No one made him. He is Yahweh. I will be. 
God demands the first place in our lives. Why? Because as St. Augustine said, as the great Catholic theologian said, our souls were made for God. They cannot rest until they rest in Him. When I went to Russia, I saw there a nation without God. In Moscow, 91, when I ran the first campaign ever in the ex-Soviet Union, as I stood on the streets of Moscow and the snow was falling and the wind was blowing, a man came up to me out of the crowd and he said, this is the hell we have created. I saw loneliness, I saw the faces of the lost, empty, hungry, lonely. That's man without God. That's why he wants to be first in our lives, because we make hell when we don't make him first. I've seen thousands of faces, you saw them in the video, Victory at Kiev, faces that are shining with light, faces that are shining with joy. What makes the difference? God. God. Whatever takes His place diminishes His presence and robs us of peace and joy. Whatever takes His place becomes our God. And that can be money, houses, land, fame, influence, or power. There is nothing wrong with money. God give us more so we can use it for the bridging of the gospel. But whatever assumes the first place in your life, if it is your business, if it is your intellectual ability, if I don't care what it is, whatever is first in your life, that is your God. And the Bible says, you shall have no other gods before me. He must be first. Notice commandment number two, which talks about the way we worship. The first commandment tells us who we worship. This one talks about the way we worship. Exodus 20, verse 4 and onwards, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or on the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the sin, the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. This commandment says that in the house of God there shall be no images. Let me mention what it is not talking about. It's not talking about statues or photos. I got a letter from somebody who uh, saw uh, the results of the campaign in Kiev and um, got a letter this week and the person said, you are an idolater because you had religious pictures up the front. No, it's not talking about that. Uh, it's not talking about photographs. It's not talking about visual aids or evangelistic aids. As I wrote to this good lady, in the sanctuary that God himself made, he had two golden angels over the ark. And into the great veil of the tabernacle, he had these beautiful angels wrought. There's nothing wrong with a statue. There's nothing wrong with a picture. But when we take those things and use them for worship, we become idolaters. Idolatry is the worship of images that pretend to portray God. There is one great church that numbers its adherents by almost a billion. And when you read the catechism of that great church, you do not read this commandment because it is missing. 
Why is this so? It is because that great church that is filled with millions of earnest Christians, that great church is filled with idols that people fall down before. Nothing, listen to this, nothing fashioned by sinful hands can rightly represent him. Idolatry takes the eyes of the worshiper from the glorious invisible God to an image of wood or stone that portrays sinful man's twisted, perverted, or inadequate concept of the deity. Nothing can adequately represent him. Idolatry debases and degrades. And that's why the hymn writer said, The heathen in their blindness bow down to wood and stone. Man can rise no higher than his concept of God. If your God is a cruel God, then you'll be cruel. But if your God is a loving God, then you'll be a loving person. Some time ago, I visited New Guinea, which is north of Australia. There I saw the idols. There I saw the idols, not of the pagan, but of the heathen. And those who worship idols become degraded in every way. I've also gone to India, gone to Calcutta, and visited the great Kali temple, where the people there, the Hindus, are worshiping Kali, that monster, that female goddess of bloodshed with many hands who loves to kill. And this is their God. But idolatry debases because idolatry robs people of the truth about the invisible God who is full of mercy and full of grace. Therefore, I say only the religion that came from God can lead to God. All religions are not the same. Most are wrong and will destroy. Only the religion that came from God can lead us to God. That's why Jesus said we were to worship him in spirit and in truth. Therefore, I want to say to the congregation today the words, O oh, come, let us adore him. Let us worship the eternal, the invisible, the almighty God, the all-loving creator God, our heavenly Father. Amen. Unless someone said, unless God is Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. And God says to you today, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out of darkness. I brought you out of despair and I brought you out of paganism and heathenism. I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I have redeemed you. I have delivered you. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any graven image. I am to be number one in your life. These commandments tell me that God is to be first and last and best in everything.
And let me tell you this, when God is first in your life, when He is number one, then you are going to have peace, and you're going to have joy, and you're going to have happiness. What is wrong with this world? Are there other gods today? There are millions of gods. Are men happy because they're serving those gods? Man is filled with pain and disillusionment. I invite you today to find the source of peace and joy and happiness and satisfaction. And that comes when we invite the big God to come in. And let me tell you this truth. Never forget it. Here's the punchline. When the big God comes in, all the little gods go out. Are you worried because your life is filled with little gods? Don't worry about it. Just ask the big God to come in. Because when the big God comes in, my friend, all the little gods go out. Amen. Would you bow your heads? Precious Father, we're so thankful today to know that when this great big God comes in, all the tinny, puny little gods are expelled. We thank you for the great God whom we serve. We cannot comprehend you today because you're beyond our poor little minds. But we thank you that you are the self-existent God who made us. We thank you that you are the God who made at least 40 billion universes, many of them much bigger than the Milky Way system. What a big God you are. What a mighty God you are. If you can take care today of 40 billion universes, help us to have faith to know that you can take care of us and that our God is able, that there's nothing that can ever come to us in this lifetime. No problem is so great but that you can't just drive it away because when you come in, the little gods are destroyed. We thank you for the transcendent, overwhelming teaching that you, the one true God, the Creator, the almighty El Shaddai, gave your Son Jesus. And he came down to this earth and died for us on the cross of Calvary so that we would no longer be slaves, but we would be free. We thank you today that in Christ we are free indeed. We want you to be number one in our lives, our Father. We know that people who make money or houses or lands or things or even relationships, with other people, number one, that there is no lasting peace or fulfillment. Our Father, we want you to be number one because when you are number one, we are going to have hearts that are filled with joy and peace and happiness and satisfaction. Therefore, today, great God, come into our hearts and we want you to be Lord of all. 
as we're praying today with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, as we think of two mountains, Calvary, where he redeemed us, lost and condemned creatures, and made us a race of free men. As we think of another mountain, Mount Sinai, where the law was given. How many today can raise a hand and say, I want to be free in Christ. I want to be free in Christ. Keep your hand up. And then can you say, I want God to be number one in my life today. Can you say it? Dear God, repeat it after me. Dear God, I want you to be number one in my life today. And we pray this today with joy and gratitude in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the second person of the Godhead, and for his sake and for his glory, amen.